0: I love that song. That uh, that's that's the story. That's why we're here today is to lift Him high, the King who died in our place, and that's what we've been talking about now for about eight weeks as we've been looking at Jesus and and teaching Jesus. And thank you for being here this morning to worship Him and to partake of His his death and his resurrection in the Lord's Supper and to learn about him uh, through our message this morning. Let's let's, uh, pray his blessing upon our time together. Father, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here this week. We thank you, Father, that, that you have been lifted high and that we've had the opportunity to worship you. And I pray, Father, that that uh, will be a blessing to you and that you will feel honored as a result of our, our, our time and our singing and our praise. And I pray, Father, that you will change our hearts as a result of the worship that we've been able to give to you. Uh, Father, you don't need our worship, but but we need it, and we need you so much. And so we give you our hearts, Father. We give you our minds, and I just pray for blessing upon uh, your word this morning as we open it and as we read it and as we see what you have to say to us today. Please bless our time together. We ask for you uh, to be here to lead us, uh, use us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, talks about Jesus getting down on his hands and knees. That God who has been lifted high, the creator of everything that we know, and uh, the hope of our salvation, the great I Am, got down on his hands and knees and washed some dirty feet. That's an example right there. That's an example that the leaders of our world could follow. And it's an example that we should be following as we try to live lives of humble servants. In John chapter 13 verses 18 through 38, Jesus uh, experiences betrayal at the hands of one of his followers, one of his closest followers, Judas, who has been dismayed and distraught at the disappointment of realizing that what Jesus came to establish was something different than what he expected. And then he exp- experiences that betrayal of, of one of his very closest friends in the life of Peter, who would ultimately deny him as Jesus was suffering in his worst moment. And we betray him too when we sin against him, unfortunately. But we're thankful that, as that song s- uh, stated, that that betrayal that we, we make towards Jesus isn't where the story ends, right? That's not where Jesus leaves us in our betrayal. He gives us his assurances and comfort, and he promises that his death will take care of those betrayals. And in John 14, 1 through 14, we talked about that a few weeks ago. As Jesus said, don't worry, take heart, be at peace. I've got this covered. In John fourteen fifteen through 31, uh, it tells us that as we love God, that we have a responsibility to obey him. But that as we obey him, he gives us a promise that he will give us his spirit to allow us to love him more, which allows us to obey him more, which gives him more, gives us more of him. And today we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a bit. but John fifteen one through eleven tells a story of how we should abide in Jesus, how we should remain in him, we should like a like a branch on a vine. We remain in Jesus through our, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of Bible study, of serving one another, of loving others, of giving of our time and our money and our efforts towards Jesus. And as we practice spiritual disciplines, it says that we will bear fruit just like a branch on a vine. We will love. We will have patience and peace and gentleness that we exhibit towards others. In John fifteen twelve through seventeen, it talks about a different kind of love that we should have towards the world. The same love that Jesus gave to us when He died on that cross, when we were still sinners. Right? He died for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, and He expects that sacrificial love, that agape love in Greek, that love that's given without the thought of anything else in return, is the same type of love that we should be showing. Towards each other. And last week in John fifteen eighteen through 25, we talked about how the world hates Jesus. And sometimes that's a result of, of Jesus being an authority figure in this life. And people don't want to be held accountable to him. And they don't want to answer to him. And sometimes that's through us and our, how we let other peoples down. But it is no surprise because the world hated him for what he represents. And it's going to hate us too. But through His Spirit, we can overcome that world. And we can overcome that hate. Today, we're going to read John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. John 16, 1 through 15. And this is what it says. All of this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. I have more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he comes, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You know, this week I was in my office and I was I was thinking, I was contemplating what I would do if I had any resource necessary. Okay, I was daydreaming about what I would do if I had any resource necessary, I'll be honest. But necessary, what type of resources am I talking about here? Um, well, resource, what, any resource, for anything. I, I was thinking, if I had a blank check that I could do anything with, what would I do? Within reason, what would I do? Well, to be honest with you, a thousand different thoughts flooded my head, but the first one is always this, I've always wanted to open a hot dog stand. That's true, it's it's true. Uh, You may laugh, but it's true, I, I love hot dogs, you can ask my wife, I love hot dogs. And I've always thought that uh, in those moments when ministry is overwhelming and I would rather be doing something, anything but what I'm doing, what would it be? It would be opening, putting up that little white and red umbrella above my hot dog cart and just slathering on the mustard and the, no ketchup, the chili, right, and onions and serving people hot dogs because, you know, sometimes that sounds pretty good to be honest. I had a boss uh, uh, back a few years ago at a church who would say, what would you do if you could do anything other than what you're doing right now? And his was driving a tractor. He'd rather be out on the farm baling hay than uh, doing what he was right now. Because sometimes, let's be honest, things don't go the way you want them to go. What would you do? Within reason, if you had a blank check and total freedom to do with it what you will. Maybe I'd finish up my Mustang that's sitting out in my dad's Pasture and cruise route 66, I don't know. Maybe I'd accomplish some project, take some time off, write a book. I've always wanted to do that. Maybe I'd go back to school and get my Ph.D. Being Dr. Brian sounds pretty good to me. What would you do? What would you or could you accomplish with the right resources? After thinking about this for a while, it reminded me of this passage that we read just a moment ago, John sixteen one through 15. In this passage, Jesus once again makes reference to the Holy Spirit and how he's going to send that spirit upon his resurrection and his return to heaven. If you ask pre-Jesus Peter, okay, let's think about this for a moment. Pre-Jesus Peter, fisherman Peter, if you asked him what he would do, If he had the right resources and the time, what would he say? You know, he was a fisherman, so maybe he'd want a new boat. Maybe his was leaky and creaky and not so safe. Who knows? Maybe he'd ask for a whole fleet of boats so that he could start a whole fishing business and so he could take care of his family and pass on a future to his kids. Or maybe stinky fish is the last thing he wanted, and he had some other idea altogether. But Peter met Jesus. And his life changed directions, as, did, as it did with all the disciples after they had met Jesus. And now Peter's life is about to change even more when he receives this spirit, the spirit of truth, which will guide his life from that point forward. Now, what would a post-spirit Peter do with the right resources? How would he answer that question? Well, we kind of know what a post-Spirit Peter would do because we see it in Scripture. What he did was he sold out to the Holy Spirit. He was given that Spirit. He sold out to it. He went all in with the Spirit. What he wanted was more of that Spirit. If you asked him, what resource would you like, Peter, he would say, give me more Spirit. He depended on it. He needed it to live. He needed it to sustain him. He needed it to direct his path. He needed it to answer the questions he was given, to stand up before the kings and queens and, and leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, to preach before thousands of people. You know, I mentioned this before in my teaching, in my preaching, but if you look at Peter, you see a remarkable transformation that took place in his life. Even as a follower of Jesus, Peter was impulsive And bold. He was stubborn too. As we mentioned in our study of John 13, Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him. And he did ultimately betray Jesus. He was embarrassed to be called one of his disciples for fear of his own life on that night that Jesus was arrested at his trial and his crucifixion. Post-Spirit Peter was equally bold, equally as impulsive, but now guided with direction. With understanding and the knowledge given to him by the Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when he received that Spirit. You know, there he stands before men with confidence and conviction, just the opposite of the night of Jesus' crucifixion. He tells the people that day that they crucified God themselves and that the Spirit was sent from Jesus himself. In Acts chapter 2 verses 29 through 33, we see a little piece of what Peter said that day. He said, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, (coughs) excuse me, and knew that God had promised him an oath, on oath, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah That he was not abandoned to the realm of death, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and you now hear. He has poured out that Spirit. And Peter has been a recipient of it. And he just has had it only a few moments, actually, but he's overwhelmed with it. And we know that from Scripture, that it wasn't just for Peter, it wasn't just for the disciples, it wasn't just for those who gathered there that day in Acts chapter 2 to hear Peter's sermon. In Acts chapter 10, verse 45, we see that God has given this Spirit, He has poured out this Holy Spirit, not just on those people we mentioned, but on all people. In Acts 10.45 it says, The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's us, right? The Spirit that was promised from the time of Isaiah, from the time of David himself, that would be poured out on God's people was a promise that was for the disciples. It was a promise for the Jews who were gathered that day, but also was for us as well. What a promise. The Spirit is to be poured out like water. Do you desire that water? Do you thirst for the Holy Spirit? Have you ever really been thirsty? You know, we're pretty lucky. We live in a society where water is readily available pretty much every everywhere we go there's drinkable water for free have you ever really been thirsty have you ever been so thirsty so hot and sweaty that it's all you could think of is where you were getting your next drink you know we were created with a natural urge a desire a need for water the desire for water that god placed within us keeps our body hydrated it keeps us functioning right Uh, as, as God intended it. Without the desire for thirst, uh, we wouldn't drink anything, we wouldn't stay hydrated, and our body would begin to break down. I just read a news article, (coughs) excuse me, this past, uh, week or two, about a young boy who's lost his desire to eat or drink. And he's about 12 years old, and so his parents now have to act has his desire to eat and drink. And and they're constantly battling dehydration and malnutrition because he doesn't desire. There's no little uh, clock, alarm clock in his body that goes off that says it's time to drink. He doesn't have that desire. And so even though they're trying to force him to drink all the time and force him to eat as often as they can, he's losing weight constantly. And as a 12-year-old boy, that's not a good place to be. You know, our body, as we uh, don't give it water as we start to lose our hydration and become dehydrated, has signs. My wife, is an EMT, has gone over these with me quite a few times, knowing that I'm a football coach, and and I work with kids out in the middle of the summer uh, who are physically exerting themselves. So I have to be aware of this, too. Uh, but there are signs. The first is that extreme thirst. that that's all, all we can think about. Uh, sometimes it's dry mouth. Our mouth gets uh, really dry and cottony. Uh, sometimes it's sunken eyes or shriveled and dry skin. It can turn into low blood pressure, rapid heartbeat, rapid breathing, fever, and in most serious cases, delirium or unconsciousness. Did you know that? Okay, so if you're unconscious, maybe it's because you need some water. All right, or maybe not. Well, like our desire for water, uh, for food, for rest, we were created with a desire, an urge, a need. For God. For his spirit. It is that desire for the spirit that keeps us spiritually healthy or spiritually hydrated. And it keeps our spiritual body functioning. Without that desire, we wouldn't stay connected to God. We wouldn't stay spiritually healthy. And our life would begin to break down. And just like there are physical signs of dehydration, there are signs as well for spiritual hydration Or dehydration. In the book of Psalms, verse 42, we have a passage that kind of highlights what happens in our life as we become spiritually dehydrated. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? Well, if I would turn the right direction, it would help. (laughs) Verse 5 here, we see the first sign. When our soul is disturbed. When our soul is disturbed, it's a sign of spiritual thirst. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I'll remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from the Mount Mizar. When our soul is downcast, when our soul is distraught, it's a sign of spiritual thirst. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? There's a few more. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Have you ever felt removed from him, distant have you ever wallowed in sadness and oppression? Okay, those are signs of spiritual thirst. Verse 10, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Have you ever felt opposed? Have you ever felt just pain in your spirit? That's spiritual thirst. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. How spiritually dehydrated are you right now? How much do you thirst for the Spirit which has been promised to be poured out on you? In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says this. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and He said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. I think he's talking about a glass of water, maybe a cup of wine. No, what is he talking about? He's talking about all of you who are spiritually dehydrated. Come to me and I will give you satisfaction. It says in 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them get that? He's not just saying, I'm going to give you a little cup of water to satisfy you. What is he saying? Rivers of life will proceed from within you. (coughs) Excuse me. A few weeks back, maybe a few months back now, I shared an example of asking Jesus in your heart. And I compared it to having a glass of water versus cannonballing into God's love. Right? Do you remember that? Uh, which would you rather have? A little glass of God's love or would you have a whole pool which you can dive into and experience Him fully all around you? It's the same thing here. Jesus is promising a whole pool of water. In verse 39 it says, By this He meant the Spirit with whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So how do we set, how do we get Excuse me, how do we get those r- streams of living water, that spirit, how do we get it poured out onto us so much that it flows from us like a river? Well, I have a few things here as we end today. How do we develop a thirst for that spirit? I was reading, <coughs> excuse me, a, a recipe this week, and it was a recipe for Irish rabbit stew. Irish rabbit stew. And I know that sounds delicious, right? Mmm. Maybe I'll substitute the rabbit with some chicken or something like that. But it sounded good, right? Well, the first step of the recipe was catch the rabbit. That's a pretty thorough recipe right there. It doesn't assume anything. Well, let's not assume anything today. If you want to develop a thirst for the Spirit, the first step is you need to catch the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as Peter is wrapping up that sermon that he boldly gave to the people that day, to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And he tells them that you crucified Jesus himself. And it says they were pierced to their heart, and they said, Peter, what must we do to be saved? How do we catch the spirit? How do we catch the rabbit? Well, here we go, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and, what? You will receive... The Holy Spirit. If you want to catch the Spirit, there it is. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. And you will receive that Holy Spirit. <coughs> Step two. Cook the Spirit. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Step two. Taste the Spirit. Taste the Spirit. I'll take it back to the recipe illustration. This week I was making some food for my wife. She wanted me to, it was actually last night, she wanted me to uh, make her some uh, some fettuccine pasta. And so she went to the store and she got, went to get some, me some uh, fettuccine sauce, right? And she brought me back a thing of cream. Okay, well, that's not quite fettuccine sauce. So I had to make her some. And as I tasted it, uh, I would modify it just a little bit, add a few ingredients. But as I, as I would add those things, guess what? It started tasting a little better and a little better, and a little better. And by the time it got to that point where it was done, I wanted some of this, right? It was delicious. (laughs) And I, I tasted it, and as I tasted it, it increased my desire for it. Taste the Spirit. In Psalms 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. If you want to have a thirst for the Spirit You have to taste the Spirit. You have to try the Spirit. You have to use that Spirit. Here's the next one. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. You can say you want the Spirit all you all day long. You can say it all you want. But if all you do is come to church and have your time here, and then you just live your life how you want the rest of the week, apart from Him, that's not how it works. That's not going to get you that gift of the Spirit. That's not going to be how, how God blesses you. There's going to be no rivers of the Spirit flowing from you. You have to live by it daily in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 through 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, with hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.15-17 through 17 illustrates this as well. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to a peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ, the message of Christ is the Spirit himself. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with grateful hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, you catch that? Whatever you do, not what you do on Sunday, okay, not what you do on Saturday night, well, not what you do when you're at home. It's everything you do, whatever you do, in everything you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we want rivers of the Spirit flowing from us, this isn't something that we can just do when we're in trouble, and we call upon the Spirit for help when we ask God to be with us in those difficult times. It's not just the difficult times. It has to be all of the times. The Spirit isn't just our lawyer that comes along and helps bail us out in times of trouble. God's Word is clear that if you want to develop a thirst for the Spirit, you have to be consumed by that Spirit. In all aspects, every moment of our life, catch that Spirit, taste the Spirit, and live by it. So what do we do with all this? Let's take it home. Memorize John 15, verse 12. What does it say? Here we go. Let's read it together. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. John fifteen twelve. Let's do it again. Uh, go back to it. Don't get away too fast. <laughs> Let's do it again. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. John fifteen twelve. And what is the this? Love each other as my command I mean, sorry, what is the I have loved you? Love each other as I have loved you. What does it mean? We learned that last month, didn't we? And I mentioned it. I referred to it just a little bit ago. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the type of love that God wants us to give each other. Let's practice that verse. Let's memorize that verse. Let's make it who we are. Here's the next one. Thank and pray through ways you can develop a thirst for the Spirit. Okay, I've mentioned some of those things. Put it to the test. If you want to know why you don't have the Spirit and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior and been baptized into Him, that could be the first place you need to start. Think and pray through those things this week. Here's the last one. Read John 16, 16 through 33 by Sunday, eleven I'm giving you a homework assignment. All right, next week, this is the passage that we're going to read through. Okay, I want you to read through it before we get to here. Okay, read through it. You know, I guarantee you that what I have to say to you will make more sense if you've read through it ahead of time. Okay, so read through that. I have one more verse I want to leave you with this morning. It comes from Psalm 107, verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. We serve a God that satisfies our thirst, and he doesn't give us a little cup. He promises us rivers of living water. Let's pray. Father, I want rivers. I want rivers of your spirit to flow over me and to flow over everybody in this room. Father, we want to live lives that are so pleasing to you and honor you so much that people look at us and they just can't help but be directed right to you. I pray, Father, that as we go from here, this week, that our lives will be marked by us catching your spirit, tasting your spirit, and living it. And that when people look at us as a body, as a church here at Southside, I pray, Father, again, that what they see is a group of people who love you and who live every single moment of their day for you. So bless that effort as we try to do that. May your spirit guide us in that. And may it draw us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.